It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, March 19th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. A wartime president pleads with Congress and President Biden. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. And the State Department puts China on notice. China will bear responsibility for any actions it takes to support Russia's aggression. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. He was unshaven and wearing an olive green T-shirt, not the usual dress code for a nationally televised address to Congress. But Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wasn't giving a usual speech. I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Nearly every member of Congress watched that speech on a video screen in an auditorium at the Capitol complex. Zelensky spoke first in Ukrainian through a translator, describing with videos and photographs the devastation across his country. Russia has attacked not just us, not just our land, not just our cities. It went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values. Zelensky's speech has drawn comparison to an address to Congress by British Prime Minister Winston Churchill in 1941. Ukraine's leader specifically asked again for a no-fly zone over Ukraine, a step the U.S. and NATO say is a non-starter. But Zelensky also wants stronger sanctions against Russia and more surface-to-air defense capabilities. Those are asked Congress is now debating. And so we start there this week with my colleague, Fox News congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram. You know, Vladimir Zelensky, his background is in the performing arts. Mm -hmm. He was a stand-up comedian before. And it's one thing to maybe not be Russia's direct equal when it comes to military firepower, which Ukraine is not. Uh, But it's another thing maybe to take them on in what they call in the military world as STRATCOM, strategic communications winning the information war. And that's essentially what uh, Vladimir Zelensky has been doing. You know, President Reagan was described as the great communicator. Uh, So is Vladimir Zelensky, frankly. And, you know, both come from the performing arts. Uh, He spoke to the Canadian parliament uh, multiple times in his remarks there. He said, my friend Justin, a reference to Justin Trudeau, he spoke to things that are near and dear to Canadians. He said, what would it be like if you had Vancouver to be hit or the CN Tower in Toronto be hit? And so he knows how to hone his message. He, He reads the room very well, so to speak. Stand-up comedian would probably know how to do that. And he certainly knew how to do that presenting his remarks to the Congress in the past few days. I mean, he spoke uh, iconically in American terms. He spoke about Mount Rushmore. He spoke about Martin Luther King, not referring to Martin Luther King, but said, you know, when you what what do you think about when you say I have a dream? Uh, He then invoked uh, probably the two worst attacks 
on American soil, uh, Pearl Harbor uh, in 1941, and obviously September 11th. And that's where he made his appeal for the no-fly zone. But here is the disconnect, Jared. And I asked the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, about that. Uh, You know, everybody says we have to do everything we can to help Ukraine. There were tears in the room after hearing his impassioned remarks. You know, again, this tremendous speech, probably the most significant address by a foreign dignitary during wartime to Congress since Winston Churchill in 1941, just after Pearl Harbor, by the way, which, of course, obviously Zelensky invoked. And you know, then you talk to members and they're like, well, we don't want to do a no-fly zone. That gets the United States and NATO too directly involved. Uh, And so I said to Pelosi, I said, you know, on one hand, you're saying we're going to do all we can, but we can't. And she reiterated, she said, we're not going to do this thing about the skies. And so I followed up and said, well, is it appropriate for him to make those requests if you all aren't going to do it? So there is a bit of a chasm in between there. And Nancy Pelosi said, yes, it's appropriate because he needs an end result. Well, so... Part of this it comes down to, to what you said, that, that no-fly zone is not going to happen. And I think the Ukrainian president realizes that as well, to your point. Um, but there are things that he is asking for uh, that the U.S. has been resi- uh, hesitant to, to provide, right? And namely those MiG fighter jets, that Polish offer to, to provide a few dozen of their Soviet-era MiG fighters to mm-hmm. Ukraine. That remains something that the Pentagon is opposed to but i have heard from both republicans and democrats this week that they would support that move what is the holdup you know and again some of it goes back to the intelligence world some of it uh, some of which we don't know about i mean gary peters who's a you know a democrat from michigan senator uh he indicated that there were some things they had heard that they thought that that would be viewed as too provocative you know the the trick is here even if you have a stalemate right now You don't want things to get worse. And so if it is perceived that if the West does A, you know, it's like playing chess. If you do A and you move your rook over here, then you don't know what he's going to do, even if what Vladimir Putin does is is completely heinous. Okay, you have to kind of say, what will they do if we do X or Y? Mm -hmm. And that's what Senator Peters was suggesting, that maybe the intelligence was indicating that this could escalate further if those MiGs took place. But you know what? This is the other interesting thing. You know, Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina, said, you know, if he uses chemical weapons, they would be for a NATO, a Western no-fly zone in Ukraine. The problem so far in this war has not been who controls the skies. It's been bombs on the ground and hitting apartment buildings and so on. It hasn't been a no-fly zone. And again, to reiterate to the the listeners, this is why a no-fly zone is controversial. He just don't declare, I hereby declare a no-fly zone and bugles play. Right. You have to enforce it. And so what does that mean? NATO gets involved. you got to be willing to shoot down with American and Italian and French and German planes. you got to shoot down the Russians or they shoot back and shoot down an American plane. You have to go in and take down their radar and air defenses first perhaps in some places on Russian soil, frankly, or do you hack some of this stuff now? You know, but but this is where it gets into very interesting constitutional terms here. Article one, section eight, the Constitution talks about Congress has the right to declare war. So if you are doing those things militarily, are we not at war with Russia? Uh, you know, you are you, you are doing something offensive first so that you can have air superiority or at least have something, you know, one to one, 48 percent, 52 percent. You know, you're at le- least a, a kind of even Stephen there between the United States and Russia. See, when we've done this other places. 
you know, for years in the 1990s and early 2000s, we patrolled a no-fly zone in, you know, different sections of Iraq. Iraq, yep. Did one well, in Kosovo in the late 90s. R- right, absolutely. That was the first thing NATO uh, did in Bosnia Lib- Lib- in the mid-90s. Libya. But it's, but it, right, but it's one thing to do it when, you know, the United States has, our, you know, the best air force in the world. Okay, it's one thing to go up against the Russians, which is, you know, probably in the same league here, you know. So that's it's one thing to do it with the Libyans or the Iraqis. That's the problem. You know, you have to be willing to take a hit and probably devolve further into war. And, Jared, this brings me to my most, you know, the most important thing I'm going to say all day today. This goes back to the Zelensky speech. He was imploring, trying to get the United States to get involved. And there were a lot of allusions made in that speech, and I said this is probably the most important speech by a foreign leader since Churchill in 1941. The United Kingdom entered World War II in 1939 against Nazi Germany. And so by the time Pearl Harbor was hit and Churchill came to speak to the Congress in late December of 1941, you know, the UK had been at this for about two and a half years. And during that entire time, the United States would not help Great Britain to the degree that they wanted. And this was something that Churchill had appealed to. And you had, you know, these interventionists in Congress and these isolationists in Congress, and neither side could kind of figure out what they wanted to do until Pearl Harbor was hit. And of course, then, granted, that was not by Nazi Germany, it was by the Japanese, of course, but you know what the rest of the story is. So until the United States got involved and Churchill then came back and said, you see, this is what I've been trying to get you guys involved at so we can, you know, conquer and take out this scourge that we've been dealing with in Europe for a couple of years now. And that is a little bit of what Zelensky is hitting at if this goes on too long. You know, the the difference that, you know, not to dive too deep in the history here, Chad, and, and you're much more knowledgeable on this than I am, but my understanding is during that period, it was Congress that was kind of holding back the administration on uh, support to the allies, to, to Great Britain and France. Exactly. The it two seems to be the other way around right yep. now. You nailed it. Yep. Because don't forget, you know, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, you had the Senate supposedly on the precipice of passing a bill uh, to really hit Russia with hard sanctions. And it was the administration partly being leaned on by the Germans, frankly, because they still were running Nord Stream 2, the pipeline there, getting the Russian oil, excuse me, gas, natural gas. That was a problem. And so the administration said, ho, 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 let's back this off. And they never passed a bill in Congress. So you're right. This is the roles being reversed. So what happens now? I mean, we we saw after the speech, President Biden announced additional um, support to Ukraine. These what are described as sort of killer robot drones. I don't know a lot about them, but they are the drone capabilities uh, that that can be given to Ukraine. Um, they are that, that it seems to be NATO is moving closer to providing some of these service-to-air missiles uh, to bring down uh, to, to to prevent some of these airstrikes. Um, save for that, though, is there something more Congress is expected to do? More funding? Is this a pressure campaign to the White House as it relates to, say, you know, the transfer of MIGs? At some point, almost inevitably, there will have to be some sort of legislation if they're going to do more. You know, even the money which has been allocated here, you know, Congress under the Constitution controls the purse strings. And so the administration sent them aid, but that was kind of with the blessing of of the Congress. So, you know, the next steps, that's important. Now, one thing that's been going on here is this, you know, revocation 
of most favored nation trade mm-hmm. status mm-hmm. with the Russians. So that's passed the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably going to go to the Senate next week. Uh, it was thought that we didn't really know that they even had the wherewithal and the votes in the Congress to do that. So that's pretty important right there that, to get that through the House of Representatives, obviously. Um, and how that would and it gives the president the ability to kind of impose these sanctions unilaterally and then take them off if there's a, been a cessation of the uh, of the conflict. It also kind of gets it at um, Belarus, who's trying to get mm-hmm. into the World Trade Organization and also asks the United States Trade Representative Catherine Tai, uh, you know, to ask the WTO to cut them out of this. So that's very, very important. Now, Congress, if they pass this through the Senate, they could come back in if they don't think that Russia is playing nicely uh, to still, you know, say go over the head of the president and actually vote not to do that. So that's probably the, the most significant thing legislatively that's happened since the Zelensky speech. So that's going to be the next thing that we're looking for then is sort of what additional I mean, we, we would expect, you know, obviously the, the, the revocation of favored nation status is not a cost thing, but you know, you and I have both heard from Speaker Pelosi that she expects there to be a larger appropriations measure um, for Ukraine. Are, are we expecting that to be billions, a trillion dollar? I mean, how much money is is Congress? We gonna don't know. Up you know, I mean, this is something that Lindsey Graham and some others have talked about is that at some point uh, the Ukrainians are going to need oil and energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why they knocked out, uh, the Russians did, a lot of these uh, oil and energy depots inside Ukraine first. I mean, again, you know, this is military strategy. Go after communications, go after resources and so mm-hmm. on. You just don't go and kill. Uh, but uh, so we don't know yet. At some point, they're going to have to figure out what is needed. And, of course, what happens with this, this comes on, as we call it, a supplemental spending bill. Um Something else that's floating around out there, which is not tied directly to this, is COVID money. They were supposed to put that in the omnibus bill. Nancy Pelosi really laid into her members who were opposed to this at a Democratic leadership meeting uh, this past week. And when asked at her press conference um, what she uh, said to some of them, she said, well, I communicated my views. (laughs) And it was kind of like that. Yes. Everybody knows what that that means when Speaker Pelosi says it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm sure that there was it was a little more direct than that, uh, you know, and I'd like to be a fly on the wall and hear what those views were and how they how they were. But that said, so, you know, that that's a bill that they are probably going to have to pass, probably will pass here for more covid funding because, you know, they, they want to be very careful here about not having another variant or not being in a situation like we were at Christmas times, Christmas time, not having enough tests and and maybe the next wave of vaccines or boosters or what have you. And so you need to keep this in the pipeline. And we understand what the controversy is behind that. But there's some Republicans like Roy Blunt of Missouri and others who are like, we got to spend this money. So you could see aid for Ukraine being attached to that sort of bill, an extra spending bill. That's not necessarily the way it's going to be done yet, but it's probably on the horizon. And I'll tell you the one thing that will put it on the horizon very quickly. Um, You know, Europe is having a bit of a surge right now. Uh, One in Mm -hmm. 18 people in Scotland is positive. China, certain parts are locked down. Uh, Not a bad situation here in the United States right now. 
but uh, look where we might be come April or May. And that's why a lot of people think that they have jumped the gun uh, with some of these, uh, 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 you know, measures and so on. I mean, we're even seeing that here at the Capitol. You know, they're Mm -hmm. going to partially reopen parts of the Capitol at the end of the month. But again, that could all change really quickly if we start to see those numbers spike. But that bill will probably be tied into the uh, aid to Ukraine. You know, they only move so many trains around here through the legislative rail yard. Let me finish with with this, uh, going back to the Zelensky speech, because we talked a lot about the policy. But I was struck, and maybe you were as well, by the emotion that a lot of members of Congress showed. Um, Have you you experienced that before in these types of addresses to lawmakers? Not very often. And I think that part of that is because it is such uh, an horrific scene to look at that Zelensky communicated it so well. And again, we go back to the stagecraft here. You know, you know, this was a play within a play. He came out and he spoke first and spoke in Ukrainian with a with a uh, an interpreter. Then he, the play within the play was the video. Very graphic, very disturbing yes. video that he Hard played. To watch. And then he came back with his speech at the end and put a direct appeal to the president saying, you know, if you are the world leader, you have to be a leader for peace. And he said that in English. You know, so so, you know, again, this is somebody who understands how to communicate. Stratcom is what we would call this in the military. Well, it was um, an event that we will not soon forget. Uh, Chad, we'll continue to follow the story as we wait and uh, follow the money as well as it relates to Congress in Ukraine. Thanks so much. It was uh, good uh, spending some time with you this week and we'll do it again next week. My pleasure. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine last month, the Kremlin has largely been isolated. Major Russian banks cut off from international financial systems. Its stock market closed. The ruble's value plummeted. Diplomats have left and sanctions and import bans imposed. But Moscow is not without allies. And this week, the Biden administration warned China not to make good on a Russian request for military and economic assistance. China will bear responsibility for any actions it takes to support Russia's aggression. And we will not hesitate to impose costs. 
That warning made by Secretary of State Antony Blinken a day before President Biden spoke with Chinese President Xi Jinping. I talked with Fox News senior national correspondent Rich Edson about the diplomatic push to punish Russia and avoid an emerging alliance with China. Rich is reporting from the State Department, a post usually assigned to Fox News correspondent Benjamin Hall, who, along with two Fox News colleagues, came under a deadly attack this week reporting in Ukraine. Well, Jared, at first it was thought that some of this help would be in a financial sense, as the West cuts Russia off from the world economy, basically, or the Western dominated world economy, uh, you've got real concerns that China is going to be there to help purchase Russian oil, to um, help keep its economy afloat, um, not adhere to Western sanctions. But there is also some information that officials have been, been saying that they think that it could go beyond that, that the Russian military, the Russian government has requested um, some military assistance from China. It's unclear what that assistance would be. But uh, you're beginning to see now public warnings from administration officials, from the Secretary of State, uh, telling China not to do this because what the U.S. and Western allies are doing to Russia's economy, there are now some threats from the West that they will do that to China's economy if they begin to try to rescue Russia from this situation, either economically or militarily. Let's talk a little bit about that, because, you know, we, we did hear, as you point out this week from uh, Secretary Blinken, that there would be severe costs. There would be consequences if China were to help Russia. Cutting off the Chinese economy is not the same thing as cutting off the Russian economy, at least for the United States. Right. I mean, we had uh, very little back and forth between the U.S. And, and Russia. There is an awful lot of trade that happens between the United States and China. Yeah, and there's an awful lot of trade that happens between the world and China. It is the second largest economy on the planet. They're a massive export economy. They've got capital, and they are very integrated into the Western economy um, and into the world economy. And it's something that Russia was as well, but certainly not to the degree. I mean, you've heard at the beginning of this invasion of uh, the the number of U.S. states that have larger GDPs than than the Russian economy. So China's a different animal here, and that's going to be much, much more of a different task. But, you know, the question is, what happens to the global economy as a result of this? Are you going to have two parallel economies where you have the Western-led world order with, you know, Europe and, and the United States and Canada and much of the world and then do you have this block of China and Russia who will then try to go alone and, and create sort of two halves of a, of a global economy with uh, other nations trying to choose, nations like India, those in Africa and South America, trying to choose between the two different blocks. So um, that's a process that's working out right now, and it has massive implications for the global economy. For China... Is the strategy to sort of counter the U.S., to counter the West, and this is an opportunity to do that? Or is there sort of a longstanding relationship here between uh, Putin's government and, and President Xi's government? China is in one heck of a position here, and you've seen that in their public statements, almost the paralysis that they had at the beginning of this invasion. Um, and then what now the United States says it's seeing is China throwing in their lot with Russia on all of this. Remember, a lot of 
Chinese propaganda and a lot of the phrasing that you hear from China and its foreign ministry is that the bedrock principle of China's foreign policy is non-interference in what other governments around the world do. And you often hear that when the U.S. and the West accuse China of um, perpetuating genocide against Uyghurs. It's abysmal human rights record within China, uh, within its borders. Uh, China will say, hey, we believe in, we take care of our country, you take care of yours, uh, and, uh, and that's, that's how nations should, should relate to one another. Now you've got a situation where Russia is invading and rampaging across Ukraine. And it's a little bit more than interfering in a country's politics. It's trying to overthrow and occupy uh, its government and its country. Um, and so China was a bit paralyzed at the beginning and had to deal with this. It's just sort of knee-jerk reaction is to blame the United States and the West for the situation. Um, but now what the officials are saying is they're seeing it's just that China has thrown in its lot with Russia. Um, even before this invasion, um, China and Russia had highlighted their, their great friendship, their, their interconnectedness. Uh, and so what you really have is now two authoritarian governments throwing in their lot with one another. Um, and, you know, the sidebar of all of this, or maybe even the foundation, is that China has, uh, in this attempt, tried to sort of blunt the power of the United States and the West. And, you know, the U.S. and the West are decidedly on one side of, of this invasion here um, in trying to support Ukraine. Uh, and perhaps China now believes that it can, instead of you know, sitting on the fence and, and quietly supporting Russia here, it may be more overt. Let me talk about the uh, the other diplomatic path here between uh, Russia and, and Ukraine. Has the State Department been involved in these negotiations? Are they optimistic about these negotiations? I mean, what you've had is a number of international leaders try to find peace to stop what's going on here. You've had the Israeli prime minister uh, in consultations with Vladimir Putin. You've had French President Emmanuel Macron, who spoke several times with Vladimir Putin after this invasion, really the only Western leader to do so. Um, the U.S. and Russians have had some lower level negotiations, the national security advisor speaking to his counterpart. Um, but as for the direct negotiations between the two, it appears as though the, the real diplomatic discussions that are ongoing are the ones between the Ukrainians and the Russians. Much of those conversations have been focused on what are called humanitarian corridors, basically Russia agreeing to stop shelling and fighting in certain areas so that Ukrainian civilians can evacuate before the Russian military flattens the city. Those agreements, they've been reached and they've largely not been adhered to. Those are pretty much the it's pretty much the primary path of the discussions here. It doesn't appear as though there is much steam elsewhere. You've heard some discussion from the Ukrainians that they feel as though that, that they're maybe now starting to have more serious conversations with the Russians. Um, but you know what the U.S. is saying is that they've seen, American officials have seen no indication that the Russians are in any moment ready to reverse or pause or stop this invasion and this assault on civilians and, and Ukraine's military. Let's talk about the, the war. Uh, as this week, Fox News learned that, that one of our crews who has been covering the, uh, the conflict from uh, Kiev, from that region, uh, came under attack. Um, Benjamin Hall, who is our State Department reporter. I know you are sitting essentially in his seat right now as we have this conversation, um, is recovering, we're told. Uh, the network's uh, cameraman um, 
was was killed um, and a, a young fixer as well. What do you know about that attack? Um, have you been able to, to talk to Ben? No, I haven't. And you're right. I am sitting in Ben's seat. This used to be my seat at the State Department. And um, I moved to a different role and Ben came over from London and he and I chatted an awful lot um, at the beginning of his time here at the State Department, just, uh, you know, about, hey, what's the beat going to be like? Welcome to Washington. Um, and, you know, nothing but positive conversations. He's a really, really good guy. And he was eager to take over this beat and he dove right into it. And, you know, he really wanted to make a difference and, and do good reporting. And, and um, you know, we, we'd spoken a little bit or emailed a little bit just about some of the stories that he'd been doing. In Ukraine, and, and I mean, some of the stuff that he was out there, the reporting that he had done on those who were evacuating, not only in the people that he spoke to, but in the way he described it mm-hmm. and the questions that he asked. I mean, his reporting out of there was excellent. Um, you know, a, a, a colleague in a, of ours and a dear friend of mine, Nick Kalman, is the producer here at the State Department. He's been working with Ben for months. Um, and, you know, Everything that I assumed about Ben just in the few conversations that I've had with him, um, you know, Nick has confirmed about what a, just a top-notch, excellent guy he is. I never had the opportunity to work with um, Pierre, our photographer, Sasha, our, our fixer in Ukraine. Um, I've been at Fox for 15 years, and I was, I was just saying it's kind of odd given all that I had heard about Pierre, who the nickname is, is Zach. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've Pierre Zachevsky is his name. Yeah, I, and for, for years I'd been hearing about Pierre, and I had always you know, wondered how I'd managed to work at this network for 15 years and never managed to work with him. Um, and I would encourage all of you out there, um, Greg Palcott, our, our senior foreign affairs correspondent, wrote just an mm-hmm. amazing tribute, a, a thoughtful, wonderful tribute of Zach that, you know, it's on our website. Well, um, if you, you saw images from Fox News Channel, uh, then those were the images captured by Pierre Zakshevsky and the, the work that Sasha uh, Kushinova, who is a young uh, journalist in Ukraine, we call them fixers. They are locals that help uh, navigate the terrain for, for foreign correspondents. The work and they they're do is invaluable. invaluable. And it could not be done without them. We need the courage that these journalists provide every single day to document what is happening there. Um, I appreciate you sharing those thoughts as well, Rich. The work that you're doing at the State Department is equally as important. And hopefully uh, our colleague Ben is back in that seat soon. Other journalists here from other outlets, the State Department officials, the secretary himself, spokesperson Ned Price, the amount of support for Ben and our colleagues uh, has just been, it's been incredible. Absolutely incredible. We thank them for that. Thank you again, uh, Rich. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Jared. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, the Fed raised rates, and it's believed to just be the start of moves intended to combat inflation. We'll talk about what that means for you. And my colleague Jessica Rosenthal interviews one Republican looking to emerge in a crowded Ohio Senate race. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.